Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you are our guest, we are in a short three-week reminder, I guess you would call it, of the basics of church. We know that will lead us into the Christmas season, and then we will begin going verse by verse through God's Word. But in Acts chapter 2, you find the DNA of a church, and about every five or six years, I like to remind us of what a church is. A church is not a big social club. It's not just a place to go meet and make yourself feel better. There's a reason we exist. And last week, we looked at, we're using the acrostic basics, B-A-S-I-C-S, the basics of a church. Last week, we saw that, and and you look in this, you can find all of this in Acts chapter 2, beginning about verse 41. In fact, why don't we just read that? Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all those who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Bible study was the first letter. Everyone needs a small group experience. You find that. They had that as they broke bread house to house. A small group experience. It's a place where you share. It's a place you prepare. It's a place that you care for one another. And every church, and and I was thrilled to know that last week some of you tried to go and went to a Sunday school class or a life group that we call them, Love, Instruction, Fellowship, and Evangelism. Life group. You went to some of those and beginning to, to check them out because in a church this size, if you're not in a smaller group, you won't ever feel like you're apart. But it's also the word A stands for adoration or the church in the worship experience. You find them both. They were house to house in Acts chapter 2 and then there were 3,000 gathered outside the temple. And by the time Acts chapter 10 comes around, there's 10,000. And by the time Acts chapter 21 comes, he uses the word myriad, which means tens of thousands of believers. Too many to count. So we need both. You don't need just the worship experience. You need the small group Bible study where you taught the word of God and you you need both of them. Next comes the S. We're going to look at the S and the I today. And the S today is about soul winning or evangelism, reaching out in love to those without Christ. If you look back at verse 41, it says that they received his word and many souls were added to them that day. And then the very last sentence in verse 47 of that passage says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, you see, Peter preached, and a lot of people came to know Jesus. 
But how are they being added daily? It's because the people of God are evangelizing. Evangelism just means good news. Sharing the good news. The chances are many people have never shared the good news with anyone. Now, isn't it easy for us to share the bad news? When you don't like the football coach, you share it. When you don't like the team, you share it. When you, when the weather, you don't like the weather, you share it. When you don't like the government, you sure share it. But the fact is, we've got some good news. In Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. He who wins souls is wise. And I want you to know there's two parts to soul winning. And I, and I like that word, soul winning, because, you know, we, the church is all about helping people. And I hear this phrase all the time, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I understand that. And I want us to be. But if you're just helping people eat or be housed or, or taking care of their physical needs, and you don't ever worry about their soul then you're not being the hands and feet of Jesus because Jesus was more concerned about their soul than he was their physical needs. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not opposed to helping people, and we do that a lot. But our ultimate goal is to see their soul saved. Amen? Amen? You have a part, and God has a part. Let's first look at our part, seeking out the lost and sharing the good news. All these converts came daily. How did that happen? People shared with what was going on. Now, your part is this. Not winning a debate, not winning an argument, simply sharing what Jesus has done for you. You have a testimony. Did you know that? If you've met Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a testimony, and there's three parts to that testimony. First is your life before you met Christ. Maybe your life was growing up in the church. I thought I was born in the church. I was, I was a Baptist nine months before I was born. My mother played the piano. My dad was the preacher. My earliest recollection are the nursery of the church. I still have a testimony, though. Because I thought going to church was good enough. And then I was baptized as a kid. I didn't know any difference between really committing my life to Christ. I just saw people being baptized and talk about going to heaven. I said, well, I sure want to go to heaven. So my testimony was, I thought just going to church was good enough that your dad was the preacher, your mom played the piano, and I was baptized. But then I realized something else, which brings you to the second part of your testimony. How you met Christ. How'd you meet him? Don't use Christianese. What I mean is don't use church language. Don't say, I walked the aisle. Well, you walked the aisle this morning getting to your seat. <laughs> don't say, I was baptized. Now, I know baptism is important, and I know it's not optional. Did you hear me? I said it's not optional, but it doesn't save you. It's the first act of obedience after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not baptized into Christ in the water. You're baptized into Christ through the righteousness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
you're baptized into Christ. Spiritually speaking, it's shown in the baptistry. But so don't use those terms and say, well, I went to a revival and I was saved. I, I, I walked the aisle and I got saved. I got baptized. No, you need to first use some term like this. I realized that my sin separated me from God and that Jesus died for my sin and that he rose again. And I realized that Jesus paid for my sin and I asked God to forgive me and I asked Jesus to come into my life and save me and he did. Now you see, if that person later walks off They remember what you said and they know how to be saved. But share with them how you came to know Jesus. The circumstances may have been different, but I'm assuming that most of you have come to Jesus. Four of you have. (laughs) And then the third part of your testimony is my life since I met Jesus. Has he made any difference? Amen. Amen. He has made a difference, hasn't he? I mean, do you still have any problems? Yeah, you've got them. I do too. These people that tell you you get saved and all your problems go away, they don't know what they're talking about. And they sure don't want to talk to Paul and Timothy and Peter and John, all those guys, because they're going to be able to say, I don't know what you were teaching, but it's sure not the truth. You're still going to have some issues. You're still going to have some problems, but you have the Holy Spirit living in you and the Lord that will walk with you through those problems. He didn't say, I deliver you out of them. In fact, Jesus himself said, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So your testimony is yours. Nobody can argue with that. You know what Jesus has done. You just need to share it. If I were to take a survey right now and I were to ask how many were saved through a radio program or a television program, there might be a few hands that go up. And if I were to ask how many of you were saved because of a sermon, there would be some hands go up. But the But I guarantee you, most of you, at some point in your life, had someone share with you how to be saved. It might have been a Sunday school teacher or a neighbor or a grandparent. Someone shared with you how you came to know Jesus. This is how God multiplies things. In Acts chapter 1, On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. By Acts chapter 2, there are 3,000. By Acts chapter 10, there are now 10,000. And then by the time that you get to Acts 21, 20, Luke runs out of numbers and he just said myriads. Myriads means tens of thousands, too many to count. You know how that works? One person at a time sharing with each other, sharing the gospel. Now, I want you to remember a few things. Evangelism is not about winning an argument. It's about sharing the good news. 
evangelism, the Holy Spirit is always ahead of you. You will never talk to anyone about the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit's not already ahead of you speaking to their heart some way. They may not acknowledge it, but I call it, you can't beat the Holy Spirit to the draw. He's always there, always. The most passionate and effective evangelism comes from those who have experienced the gospel. You can't share what you don't have. Evangelism frequently involves making ourselves uncomfortable. Why is it we're so comfortable sharing bad news and so uncomfortable sharing good news? You know, a lot of people have this idea that to, in order to witness, you've got to badger people. That you've got to be, carry this giant Bible around and just knock them in the head with it. That you've got to quote all this scripture. Sharing your testimony is the easiest thing you could ever do. Can you imagine what would happen if every person that's in church today in Southcrest and all of the services, if every person saw one person come to know Jesus next year, we couldn't see them all. For sure, people would be in your seat. Maybe that's why you don't tell anybody. I don't want to come get my chair. I don't think that's it. Evangelism is simply sharing what God has done. There's opportunities all around us to share the gospel. Not everyone's going to believe you. But don't take it personally. It's not you they're rejecting. It's Jesus Christ they're rejecting. You're just trying to share the good news with you. If I was your neighbor and I saw your house on fire, what's the most loving thing I could do, the most kind thing I could do, would be come wake you up or knock on your door or come running in and rescuing you out of that burning house. We need to warn people of the coming judgment of God that they do not have to face. You don't have to face it because Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on the cross when he died for us. And when you place your faith and trust in him, you are delivered from the wrath to come. We need to tell people the good news. Not everyone will believe. Salvation only takes a moment to receive. It takes a lifetime to completely understand it all. I'm still amazed at salvation, aren't you? <laughs> salvation just takes a moment, and the gospel is a message that our world desperately needs. The only hope we have as a nation and as a world is for people's hearts to be changed. And the only way you can change that heart is through Jesus Christ. It can't be legislated. There are not enough laws written to make people love one another. Only through Jesus Christ. And we have the answer. And the sin that Christ saved us from is the same sin that's condemning unbelievers to eternity without God in hell, but that sin can be forgiven, just like yours was. Somebody rescued you. There are some churches today that don't even talk about people being saved. They don't even talk about evangelism. One man said, my church is hopeless. 
when it comes to evangelism. And his friend said, well, a lot of congregations struggle with that. And he said, yeah, but how many churches do you know that have an unlisted phone number? <laughs> we have something good, folks. We have something good. Our part is to share. When you support missions, when you support these church plants, you're also helping in evangelism. That's the easy thing to do is to give money. The hard thing to do is to just share your testimony with people. The second part is God's part, saving the lost and growing his church. The word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. God brings people to him. One of the reasons that we so see so many people coming here is because we keep lifting up Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about any of us. It's all about him. And folks, I want to tell you something. We exist. Why do we exist as a church? We exist for the people who are not here yet. We're not just a big social club. We don't just meet for us. Believe it or not, it's not about you. <laughs> I guess in some ways it is because you come to grow and you come to fellowship with other people and, and you come to honor and worship the Lord. It, it, it is, but, but believe it or not, our main goal, our main purpose is to reach people who are not here yet. And yeah, they're going to get your parking place. And they're going to sit in your seat. And they're not going to know any better. And you don't care, do you? I know you don't. Neither do I. I want them to come. I want them to know Jesus. Soul winning. If we ever forget to do that, if we ever quit focusing on evangelism, if we ever quit focusing on leading people to Jesus, then we're not being what God intends us to be. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and reach the lost. The I is for intercession, reaching up in prayer to the Lord. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to prayers, plural. Notice the S on it, which means there's different kinds of prayers. The word for prayer in general means to put your face toward God to express a desire. Talk to him. He understands West Texas English. You don't have to use the King James Version English to pray. Believe it or not, God existed before the King James Version came out. He understands. Just talk to him. The fact is, we need to talk to him. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. He didn't say, teach us to sing, or teach us to preach, or teach us to heal. He said, teach us to pray. And prayer is one thing that all of us can do. But a lot of places, a lot of people don't really think of prayer as that important. I've said this before. 
What's the difference between people who pray in church and people who pray in casinos? (laughs) The people in casinos are serious. You can pray anywhere. A Sunday school class was discussing formal and informal prayer, and one man remarked, I do some of my best praying while I'm driving. From the back of a room, his wife said, I do some of my best praying while you're driving too. (laughs) Position of prayer. You can debate that. Three pastors were in an office one day. Telephone repairman was in there with them. He was working on the telephone line. The first pastor said, I definitely kneeling in prayer is the best. Another one said, no, I, I do my best praying when I'm standing on my feet with my hands outstretched to heaven. The third one said, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate on the ground, face down. Telephone repairman said, I I don't want to interrupt, but the best praying I ever did was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. (laughs) You can pray anywhere. Position's not important. The fact is, do it. And the kinds of prayers, there's different kinds. So let me use another acrostic, cat, C-A-T, and then the word is, I-S, cat. C, confession of sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Our sin is against God. So when you come to God, first thing, you want to say, Lord, there are a few things I need to confess to you first. And don't just use the catch-all phrase and forgive me of my sins. No, Lord, I did not speak kindly to my wife or I didn't do this or whatever. God, I want to confess that to you. I'm sorry. Duncan Campbell said, do not expect God to cover what you're not willing to uncover. And God is faithful to forgive us. The A is for adoration of God. You're ready to worship God and to praise him. You can praise him because he's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness and grace. You've just experienced his mercy when you confessed your sin. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips that confess his name. When's the last time you got by yourself and you just talked to God and said, God, I want you to know I love you for who you are. You are a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. You're a God of forgiveness. You're a God who knows me by name and you know everything about me. God, thank you for who you are. You just praise God, but praise is most perfected when you say it vocally. I know that he can read your mind. Let me ask you, do you those of you who are married, do you love your spouse? Yeah but you never tell them, do you? After all, they they should know it. You think it a lot, but do you ever say it? 
Yeah, you do. Why do you say it? Because they want to hear it and you want to hear it. Well, God can read your mind, but when's the last time you just said, God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. You're an awesome God. We use that word awesome on everything else, but really and truly it's a word that ought to be reserved for God. T stands for thanksgiving. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now, what's the difference between praise and thanksgiving? Praise is acknowledging God for who he is, his character and his nature. Father, I praise you because you're full of mercy and forgiveness. Your loving kindness never fails. You are faithful. Thanksgiving is thanking him for what he's done for you. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for giving me such a wonderful wife. I thank you for letting me be part of such a loving congregation. I thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you have met my financial needs. I thank you for what you've done for me. Now, we're about to enter a week <laughs> where we're supposed to focus on thanksgiving to God. But it's kind of a hip- hypocritical thing when you have a nation that's outlawed God and prayer and schools and institutions and everything else, and yet we're supposed to stop and thank him. So I don't know what those people are going to do, but I know what children of God ought to do. We ought to be thanking God that he has given us all that he's done and who he is. So what did they do? They, they changed the name from Thanksgiving to Turkey Day. You know, they're a bunch of turkeys, all right. <laughs> or it's not a football day. If it weren't for God, we wouldn't have the nation we're in right now. Amen. And because we've turned our back on him, we're seeing our nation leave and crumble. Thanksgiving. And you know what? Sometimes... You can just thank him for the smallest things. Dennis, the menace cartoon, shows him kneeling by his bed. His eyes are closed. And with a smile on his face, he says, Dear Lord, that was a great sunset. Thanks for letting me stay awake long enough to see it. (laughs) I got amused. A four-year-old boy was asked to give thanks before the meal at Thanksgiving dinner. So the family bowed their heads in expectation. He began his prayer, thanking God for all his friends, and he named them by name, one by one. Then he thanked God for mommy, daddy, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, all of his aunts and uncles. Then he started in on the food. He gave thanks for the turkey, the dressing, the fruit salad, the cranberry sauce, the pies, the cakes. He even thanked God for the Cool Whip. (laughs) Then he paused. He got quiet. He looked up at his mom. He said, if I thank God for the broccoli, won't he know I'm lying? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Sometimes you can stop right there. Maybe you don't have anything to ask of God. You just said, God, I want to confess my sin to you. I want to praise you. And I want to give you thanks. I can, sometimes I've called my 
family members. It's been a long time, but I need to do it more often. But just call to say, you know, I just want to tell you how much I love you. I don't need anything. I just wanted to vocalize that today. Sometimes you can stop right there. God, thank you for who you are. Now, the acrostic I-S, I stands for intercession for others. Before you ask for your own needs, be sure and pray for others. That's called intercession. Intercede comes from two words, enter between and sedere to go. When you intercede for someone, you go stand before the Father on his or her behalf. In John 17, Jesus stood for you. He intercedes for you in John 17. We have groups that intercede. On Monday night, there's a group that meets at 6.30. They intercede for the nation, praying that God would turn the hearts of people toward him. On Tuesday mornings, we have a group that prays for those prayer requests that you put on the prayer cards, and you send to us those prayer requests. Wednesday evening, we try to mention folks that are in the hospital and have some physical needs. We pray for others. We intercede for others. We need to pray for those about to lose their jobs because of the government mandate. God can change that. When's the last time you interceded for someone else? And then finally, the S is for supplication. Don't try this. Don't try selfish praying. God, let me win the lottery. You really think he's going to let you win the lottery when gambling is an issue in itself? Or God, help me make an A on the test. I didn't study, but help me make an A on the test. No, you ask God for wisdom and patience and boldness. Ask God for strength. God will supply your needs when it comes to what you need to live for him daily. He will. Praying. The greatest prayer that you will ever pray is what we call the prayer of commitment, sometimes called the sinner's prayer. That's kind of a misnomer because every time we pray, we're still sinners just saved by the grace of God. We're still praying sinner's prayers. And being, being a child of God does not mean you just pray a prayer. It's a commitment of your life. It goes something like, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I know I'm separated from you. I know I have no hope without you. My sin has separated me from you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe that you placed my sin on him when he died. I believe he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. I ask you to come into my life and save me. I, I want you to be the boss Folks, I want to tell you something. God's not so hung up on the words that if you don't say it exactly right, 
He's not going to go say, oops, sorry, you missed a word. He wants to save you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you peace and joy and assurance. Why God wants us, I don't know. Why would he want us? But he does, amen? Amen. And if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day to give your life to Jesus. You can join a church, but that doesn't save you. A commitment to Christ saves you and changes your life. He didn't, t- he didn't come to make us religious. He came to give us a relationship with God the Father that we separated ourselves from by our own sin. So if you don't know Christ, you don't have to join our church. That doesn't get you there. We got members of our church who still aren't going to heaven. I don't know who they are. I don't. I have some good ideas, but I don't know who they are. Because I'm not God and I don't see their heart. So I don't stand in judgment. I don't. All I know is just signing up in a church roll does not, does not put your name in the book of life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Sinless blood atoned for our sins gives us life. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those who need you that your spirit would speak to their hearts, drawing them to you, showing them their sin, and that you will love and forgive them. I pray they'll commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be a church unashamed to share the gospel. We're the only institution on earth that's got good news for mankind, the church of Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for not at least sharing with people what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to become even more of a praying church. We all have a lot to learn there. But I thank you for these groups that meet every week and intercede. Help us to be faithful to you in prayer. I pray for those that need to receive Christ, those who need to be baptized, those who need a church. I don't know all the other needs of the folks in this room, but I know that there are many. And so we come to you asking you to meet those needs and help them even now. In Jesus' name. There are pastors standing here at the front to pray with you. If you have questions or you want to tell us about a commitment you've made, if you want to inquire about being baptized or joining Southcrest, or maybe just something on your heart, you just need someone else to lift you up in prayer. That's why they're here. So in a moment when we stand, I want you to keep your heads bowed and and you let people slip out and come if they need to come and you come with them if they want you to. Would you do that now? Would you quietly stand? Would you keep your heads bowed? And would you come right now while we wait for just a moment? We won't wait long. I don't have time to wait long. Whatever the decision is, you come 
even now. Watching us online, would you hit that connect button and somebody will help you right now? You sense the Holy Spirit leading you to do something, you need to do it right now. Would you come? Would you be seated for just a moment? We don't close an invitation because it's God's invitation. You can still let us know of a commitment that you are making or would you like to talk with us about by filling out that card and, and, and putting on there my decision today and dropping it in the box. You can also put your prayer request. You can text the word uh, living hope to the number that you see on the screen and you can fill out that information and send it to us. We're going to call you. Our first response is a telephone call and we'll be glad to, to help. Even after we're dismissed, if you want to talk to some of these pastors, we'll be glad to do it. We don't, that's why we're here. That's what we're about. I want to talk to you about knowing the Lord. A couple of quick announcements. There are some Shepherd Council nomination forms back there by the cameras and I had a grand total of 11 turned in last week. And today's the last day to turn them in. So if you want to nominate someone to be on the Shepherd's Council, please do that. The, the, it shows some of the requirements and, and the people who are already serving. Um, outside in the foyer is the Buckner's Angel Tree. There are 450 of these. Has the name of a child or a young person and something they would like to have for Christmas. For example, this, this name is here. I'm a 17-year-old boy who loves the color green. For Christmas, I'd like, it has a pair of jeans down here in the size. Approximate amount, $30. It has a number at the bottom, 61. So what you do is you take one of these off the tree and you, and you Get the gift and you bring it back by December the 1st, unwrapped, and we'll turn it into Buckner's. You get your name, put your name down, and the number. See that number circled right there? It says 61 on there. 
And you can, that way we'll know who picked up which one. There's 450 of them. 53 of these young people are about to graduate out of the foster care system, knowing they never got adopted, but they're about to be too old to be in the foster care anymore. I think we can do this. 450 is nothing for a church our size, but this is what that is out there. Thanksgiving schedule next Sunday. First of all, there's no Wednesday night activities at all. Next Sunday, there's a great chance someone will be in your chair because there's no eight o'clock service. And those eight o'clock folks are gonna come at 9.30 or 11. We have childcare, preschool chair, care for the 930 service, 11 o'clock service. There's no big gig. There's no Sunday school, no life groups, just the worship services at 930 and 11 and the 930 venue service. You have today and tomorrow to finish getting in your Operation Christmas Child Box if you've not turned it in. And then Southcrest Christmas is two weeks from today, having two performances, 330 and 6, and preschool If you have a preschooler, please register. It's required. Now, I mentioned to you about folks who are facing being terminated from their jobs if they don't take the vaccine. Here's what we can do to help. First of all, if you feel so inclined, you can call the hospital, Covenant and UMC is who I'm talking about, and ask to speak to the head office, CEO or the CMO, and just say, Christ-like, nobody's mean. Please grant the religious exemptions. Folks, this is gonna affect our community. Now, if you're one of those people, and maybe you don't work for the medical community, had someone else ask me Wednesday night, their husband was facing the same thing. If you're... If the hospital allows you to, on a religious exemption form, you need to fill out that form telling people that you're a follower of Jesus, put it in your own words, and that you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that you, the Holy Spirit guides you in all the decisions, and right now that you don't feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to take the vaccine. If you will call us, my office, Give us your name and some information. We have drafted a letter that will back up your stand. Now, it's not a pro-vaccine or an anti-vaccine letter. It basically says that we believe that the person follows Jesus Christ. They've been saved. They have the Holy Spirit living in them. And we back that up and we support their right to their decision. So it's no guarantee, but I sign him. And it's going to have your name and stuff on it if we can help. Now, you understand, I didn't say we're the exemption. We're backing you up, filling up your exemption form. We don't have an exemption form. And don't ask me for the biblical reasons not to take the mandate. I just gave it to you. I believe that you have the right under God because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you to make your own decision based under his leadership and guidance. That's just, but it's as good as I can do. Okay, so if we can help you, we're willing to do that. I can't guarantee you that it's going to do anything, but I at least want to try to stand and support uh, this. And I, if you disagree with me, 
Don't write me. I don't care. Enough said. <laughs> Colin, thank you for filling in today. By the way, I don't mean to sound rude. I, I know this is, I, I'm not, you didn't hear me say I'm pro or against a vaccine, did you? You heard me say, I support the right for us to choose personally. That's what I said. So if you're going to quote me, quote me accurately. If you're our guest and you're brave enough to come in and meet me, <laughs> I'll be in the hospitality room and I have something I want to give you. And I'm really not a main, mean person. So I just believe it's time to take a stand as a Christian community and say enough is enough. Come on. So anyway, there you have it. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.